You ready? All right, let's do this. If you've got your Bibles, if you could turn them to the book of Ephesians, and in Ephesians, we're going to be in chapter 2. If you have uh, the NBC app, it's all right there, along with uh, notes. If you don't have a Bible or notes, we have some physical uh, copies of those in the back, and uh, we'd love for you to check that out. And as we're uh, just starting off here, and as you're turning in your Bibles, last week we we got together, and we actually, is the... uh, there we are. Okay, I was just making sure my computer was working. Sometimes it doesn't. Last week, we actually uh, started off this whole series um, as far as talking through our mission statement with the question, well, seriously, let's be completely honest. Why? Why do we go to church anyway? There's so many reasons why we shouldn't. There's so many great opportunities for us to get close to God and learn about God outside of the confines of a building. Sometimes people within a building are frustrating, and so why do we do this? And we answered that question uh, by talking about the greatness of God, that God is great, and that God has called us into community. And we, we had a challenge at the end where we talked about that there's lots of uh, steps that we take as people who are becoming disciples like Jesus, uh, disciples of Jesus. And one of the, the, the key ways that we do that as a community is that we make the point to gather, that we actually physically gather with God's people. We faithfully do that. We find a way to, to declutter our lives, and our lives are crazy cluttered. All of ours are overly busy. But we try to declutter that and centralize that opportunity to gather together with God's people and actually physically sit in the space where we get a chance to experience and encounter the grace of God. But that's being a disciple. Discipleship, Jesus called us to discipleship. And when we're talking about we're a community of Christ followers who are committed to being real with God, the way that we do that as a community is not only by showing up and spending that time together faithfully, but we also ask the question, who in my world isn't encountering Jesus? Who in my world doesn't have an exposure to the gospel and hasn't come in contact with him that I could actually save one of these ugly gray seats for, that they could actually come and sit down next to me, that we as a people could actually become the reality of what Scripture calls us to be, which is, in fact, better together. In Scripture, uh, we see lots of different descriptions of the church, and that's really, we're going to be answering the question, why do we go to church anyway? Why do we show up at this place anyway? And this is kind of the part two. And it has to start with the word that we translate into church, ecclesia. Ecclesia um, is it's really imperative that we know that it comes from, um, the first time we see this in the New Testament is in Matthew. When Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and he's talking to his disciples, and some of you who've been on the Israel trips, you've been to Caesarea Philippi, and it was this like center of pan-pagan worship and stuff, and Jesus brings his good Jewish, you know, teenage kids on a field trip with him to go to the most pagan place where he's going to talk to them about the fact that he is king, that he is the Messiah, and that he's actually going to have to suffer and die. In that conversation, he's talking to Peter, and, and this word shows up, ecclesia. He talks to Peter, and, he's, and Peter rightly qual- qual- qualifies who Jesus is. And then he says, you're right. But Simon, which is the name that he was going by up to that point, Simon, you are now Petros. You're no longer Simon, you're, you're Peter which means little tiny stone, like little rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And we could sit here for like three days and talk about that because it's amazing. But one of the things Jesus is talking about is this. Peter, 
you have a part in building this ecclesia that I'm talking about. Ecclesia is, is a compound word of these two different words. Kaleo um, is the root of the second part, which means called, and ek is the, the beginning, which is out from. It's this idea of being called out from something into something else. Ecclesia was, was something that, that Greek opposition groups loved. Like if there was a, a local governor that you didn't like, and you'd get a bunch of your neighbors together, and you'd form an ecclesia, a gathering where you could protest against this guy. And if you had enough protesters, you could overthrow your local governor with your ecclesia. It was a way of saying, we don't agree with what's happening and we are going to let our voice be heard. But the word ecclesia had, had with the Jews, it had an even deeper religious significance. Because when the, the, those who were translating the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek so that everyone in the Greek empire could read it, everyone in the Roman empire could understand it, they chose to qualify the word used for religious gathering or assembly. What they took is they took that Hebrew word and they translate it ecclesia. That these gatherings of God for the purpose, purpose of, of gathering together and being, uni- being united under the one true God were called ecclesia. So which word do we have recorded Jesus using? Peter, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my gathering the significant reality, and what we call today church, which is super confusing because when we see a a building that has a cross on it, what do we call it? Right. We don't call it an ecclesia because we're calling it a church. That word actually comes from the word for a building. Ecclesia is so much more dynamic. It's talking about the gathering of the people, and it's used 114 times in the New Testament, and all but three of them are describing not a building, not a, not a global movement, but a specific congregation, a gathering. What's happening in this ecclesia? How is this ecclesia doing? This ecclesia needs to understand this reality about God, and we're going to talk to them that much more. In, in other words, if you were wanting to see the implications of this word, it was a called out of everyday life gathering of Christ followers who can better express collectively what God has done in each of us individually. God does, when you encounter God, he does something amazing in you individually. But when we gather here together, when churches all across this globe gather, there's something about that gathering that is better. They're better together. That God intends for them to be together. Let's be really specific with Manuka Bible Church here, okay? So let's say every week for 65 minutes, 65, 70, 75, 85 if you're lucky, but right in that time frame, every week for 65 minutes or so, we step into a truth about us that is maximized when we gather. There's a truth that Christ has accomplished for each one of you that is a reality you own and possess, but is maximized and fulfilled and refined when we gather as the church. Uh, My grandmother, my grandmother did not know her name until she was uh, 16 years old. She didn't know her name because her parents called her Vera. From her child, from being a baby on up, they called her Vera her whole life. And it was when my grandma was leaving the farm to go find work that she needed her birth certificate, and she saw on her birth certificate that her name was not Vera, it was Hilda. And she said, Mama, Dad, this is Hilda. And they're like, oh, yeah. We forgot on the way home from the hospital. And so they called her Vera because they just forgot the name that they gave the doctors. And from that moment, you laugh, but can you imagine that being you? Now, which of the two did my grandma assume for the rest of her life? Hilda. Why? 
because she was called for the first time at 16 her real name. And she carried that name with her to her death. There's something about knowing who you really are and what you really are called that defines you. It impacts you. And the New Testament wants to help us remember and understand who we are, not only as individuals in Christ, but who we are as the gathering. And so you see all these metaphors dropped in Scripture of who we are, who we actually become when we gather together. We're going to talk about three of them. The first is this. Every week for 65 minutes, we get to be a nation, a nation within a nation. Every single week, if you gather here, you get to not only be, but become a nation. Now, I love, I love our nation. If you ask me, I think it's the best nation out there. It's, it's amazing. We get to vote. We have freedom of speech, of the press. We can, we can vote people in. We can vote people out. We can protest. We can march. It's amazing. Every four years, we tell everyone that if our person isn't voted in, we're going to move to Canada. And every four years, we stay. It's amazing. Why? Because this is an amazing nation. But fellow Democrats and fellow Republicans and fellow independents and fellow apathetics and fellow anarchists, if you are in Christ, you have a better nation. You're a part of a better nation with a better king. And you get to be part of that every single week for 65 You get a taste of a reality that you take out of here every single time. The truth is, is that the nation within a nation is this. We get to be a part of a diverse sampler platter of heaven that reflects God's rule and God's extravagant grace. The truth is this. um, If if you've got your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2, take a look at the first several verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is Paul writing. In which you used to live... When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace. It's by grace that you've been saved. See, as opposed to the nation that we live in or any other nation you could live in throughout history or any other geographic point, we are part of a nation that's not just surrounding an ideology like freedom. We're, our, our, our faith, our nation is surrounding a person, the Godhead, the, the triune God with Jesus as our Savior. We, we, don't, we don't stand on a constitution that's written about how we should live. We stand on scriptures, which again are about a person, the Godhead, the triune God with Jesus as our Savior. And our membership into this kingdom, into this nation, is not something that we could be born into. And it's not something that we could earn with great citizenship or if we pass some citizenship test. We actually have the opportunity to be a part of this nation by the gracious adoption of God. And he adopts a bunch of us, all kinds of us, the crazies of us, the skilled of us, those who have no talent of us, every pigment of us, He calls into this nation. Isn't that amazing? It's profoundly amazing. And so because of that, we get a chance to actually experience something that our nation wants to be about. When the uh, Statue of Liberty was being built, um, there was this lady named Emma. 
Emma wrote this poem because she wanted to raise the, the money for the foundation of the Statue of Liberty. And she writes this, this um, poem called The Colossus. And within it, the famous um, portion, which is on the, a plaque within the base of the Statue of Liberty today, says this, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these. The homeless, the tempest tossed to me, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's a great concept for a country, but that's the reality that as Christians we own. Peter, Peter who Jesus was talking to when he dropped that ecclesia word for the first time in the New Testament says this, he, when writing to another church, another gathering, another ecclesia, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare this pra- these pra- the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. The one thing that you need to know, because you, church, if you're in Christ, if you're here and you gather as, as the collective gathering of the faithful who are in Christ, you are a nation. In other words, you belong. No matter what anyone has told you or how how you've been disqualified, even rightfully disqualified in this world, in this place, you belong. You're a nation within a nation. But secondly, you get to be and see the bride every single week for 65 minutes. You get to be and see the bride. Scripture talks about the church, the ecclesia, the gathering as the bride of Christ. And so that's something that you get to be. You get to be that, but you also get to look around because you're not the only bride of Christ. All these other people that you've walked into these doors with that are in Christ are also the bride of Christ. And that's where it gets weird because when you have all of these people gathered together as Jews, we could have our differences as Jews, but you know what? We're kind of, you know, we're still homogenized to some degree. But then all of a sudden, Jesus makes this statement of that this is going to the ends of the world, that all kinds of people are going to receive this gospel, and that it's for all kinds of people. To which they're like, you mean all kinds of Jews? No, all kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of geographic regions, all kinds of backstories. It's for them. And when people actually started taking Jesus at his word and doing it, it really freaked the Jews out. Like, this group was amazing. Christianity was awesome before we ruined it with the Gentiles. Like, they're messing everything up. We got to adapt. We got to, like, augment the way that we are living and talking. It's, and we, we sit next to them, and we know that they're messed up, and they don't do any of the cool stuff we do as Jews. To which Paul writes this. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am free from God's, I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become, this is key, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This means this. There's a reason why this church looks different than the church you grew up in, which looks different from the church across town, which looks different than the church that's going to be planted next week. See, as much as we are a nation that's unified by Christ, we have diversity within us, and that's a good thing. We have churches that are crazy traditional, and churches that are crazy contemporary, and churches that are in between. 
And that both of those things are beautiful. We have churches that are high on liturgy and churches that, that write liturgy on the fly, it seems, and everything in between. And the beautiful thing is, is that those that are surrounded and centered on the gospel of Christ in Scripture, to those people, we have unity. But as we have all these diversity people, all these diverse kinds of people here, we as the church make the decision to be the bride and fall in love with that which God is in love with. When Jesus calls the church the bride, we look around and say, there's people that are different than us, and we bend to them. This is why we, we've dubbed Manuka Bible Church a flip-flops and floor-shine church. This is a church, maybe, maybe one of, maybe we're just weird, but we, we really appreciate the fact that in this body of gathering, people, when they say, what should I wear to church, we recommend clothing. But that's it, because... One of the things that we want to see here is we don't want to see any of those distinctions make the thing, okay, this is a dress-up church or this is a total casual church. Our thing is we want you to come here and be authentic. We want this to be the type of church where a guy who's coming in floor shines in a three-piece suit can worship the king of kings, to which, of course, if I was meeting with the president, I would wear a suit and the nicest that I have, and I'm going to be worshiping the king of kings, so of course I'm dressing like this, to which we say, you, sir, are welcome. Come on in. And that guy's going to stand next to the guy in cutoffs and flip-flops and full-sleeve tattoos who came just as he was because he follows Jesus the rabbi who accepts him just as he is. And we tell that guy, you, sir, are welcome. Come on in. And we have a seat next to the floor shine dude. Why? Because this is a picture of the kingdom. And the thing that I love seeing happen is when this is not just clothing, but it's, it's, it's personality types. It's introverts and extroverts. It's Republicans and Democrats. It's people who have got a lot and people who've got a little. Find that they have so much more in common because they're saying, I am here, not just for me, but for this person. When we're singing music, the guy in the floor shine might be like fingernails on a chalkboard when it comes to some of the music, but he's cool with it. Not because he's cool with it. He's cool with it because the guy next to him, this is impacting him. And the guy next to him, when he, there's a special number, and there's like a quartet of people singing in like from the 1920s or something. For this guy, it might be like, but he's cool with it. Why? Because he's looking at Florsheim guy tapping his toes. And he knows that this is impacting him. And he's saying, I am part of the bride. I fall in love with the person that Jesus has fallen in love with, which is this people, this group. And we are so different, and that is so important that we maintain that we are not homogenized. We're unified around who he is. Amen? You, you are, and get to be a part of the bride. So you not only belong, you are actually loved. You get a chance to experience this 65 minutes a week, and you get to love and to express love. This means that you are going to be forced into situations if you stay around here long enough where you're going to have to forgive someone who has rubbed you the wrong way. And again, we said this last week, if we have not offended you or let you down, you need to up your attendance at this church. <laughs> it's going to happen. But we're the family. We're the bride of Christ. We're, we're, we're the, the building that, God, that Christ himself is building together. And we forgive, and we move on, and we work through it because we are and get to see the bride. But not only that, for 65 minutes every single week, we get to be the temple. 
not go to the temple, but to be the temple. We get to encounter the holiness of God in the sacredness of our gathering. Take a look at verses 21 and following. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. He's talking about us, not an actual physical place. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You need to know that you are, not at, you are the temple. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, he's there. But when we gather, there is something significant, something that draws awe. Now, all throughout Christian history, we've tried to capture this in our architecture. If you go to, on uh, massive tours throughout Europe, you could find cathedrals that were intended to draw your attention upward. That the, the acoustics would be such that when you sang, you would have an opportunity to hear the, the, the amazing sound of this collective voice. That the awe, you know, when people walk in, they're quiet. And that the, the, gla- the, the windows have stained glass telling the story of Jesus' sacrifice for us. But church, that is not the church. Holiness cannot be painted onto drywall. It can't be embedded into the windows. The church is not the building. The thing that draws awe is the fact that Christ has taken the broken pieces of glass of our lives and welded them together in such that we are telling the story of Christ's sacrifice. You and I, Every single time we walk through these doors, we are telling the story. Whenever we respond to a holy God who met us right here where we are, we are telling that story. When you, when you experience the reality that Scripture is convicting you right in the face about your life, the things that you're doing that you know are far from God, and you remember that you are dead in transgressions, you do not deserve to be a part of this nation, you do not deserve to be the bride, and you certainly don't deserve to be the temple, but he loves you so much that he called you into it. That all of a sudden, when we look at that, we come in contact with the holy God, and we say, I'm going to rebel no more. I'm turning my life over to him. I'm choosing, I'm choosing, I'm not choosing selfishness. I'm choosing his holiness. See, because when we realize that and as we gather, as we gather as the people of God, we are the temple. We are actually in a place where we can actually experience true change. We can experience transformation. Transformation happens in our heart as we engage a holy God who bought us with a price. Not so that we would stay in rebellion to him, but that we could experience change transformation, growth. I don't know if you see the power in this, but just recognize the power that you are in a place where you can belong, that you are loved and can express love, and where you can actually see the change is possible. These are the things that every single breathing human being is dying for and dying to find and giving up great, great amount of resources to acquire and losing because they've missed their Savior who wants to meet with them and draw them into a community where they belong, where they're loved, and they can actually experience the life change. A place where they're, in fact, better together. Revelation 9-11 talks about this. Or, or uh, pardon me, Revelation 12-11 talks about this. And that the thing that actually um, destroys our enemy that actually takes our enemy out of the equation is what Jesus did 
the blood of the Lamb, and the testimony of the saints. In other words, the thing that causes victory is that when we get to express the thing that actually accomplished our transformation and change that Jesus accomplished, and actually go from that point to telling others about it. Tonight, you're going to have the opportunity to see and hear a picture of that. Now, I love, I love baptism weeks at Minooka Bible Church because everyone in here who is a believer, if, if you don't cry, it impacts you on some level. And the reason that it does, if you've ever wondered why, is because you are watching your story. You are watching your story played out. You're watching the victory over Satan be expressed. The fact that we were dead in our sins and Jesus met us and he has made us new creations. As we watch these stories on the screen, I want you, if you are a believer, to rejoice. And every single time you see someone baptized, I want to challenge you, when that person comes up out of the water and the water just drains out of their ears and everything's muffled, I want the first things to hit their eardrums is to be the applause of the temple, of the bride, of the nation of God, who is celebrating watching Jesus' story play out one more time. Amen? Amen. Let's watch the stories. 